you know what? Our nation is not going to hell with young people like this on stage. But pray that they have convictions and influence that they can pull some from that path. We had, I think we had four in the brass section that were college students. We had a guitarist, percussionist, and the two ladies on the ends were all Anderson University students where where Joe Weehunt, y'all may not know, is a worship uh, professor over there. And, uh, and also, uh, Joe's son is Anderson University, the drummer. And uh, Doug Norwine, who is a professor there, was here as well. He's with us frequently, a sax player, great sax player. You heard the chorus in that song, there's a battle between guilt and grace. You know anything about that? But that song said, grace wins every time. Well, that's what the song said. But is that true in you? Is that true in you? Because I think commonly we don't understand the breadth, the height, the depth of grace. And many of us live in condemnation, self-condemnation. But grace wins every time from God's perspective. We continue our series putting faith into practice. And we're learning lessons from the book of James, which is a practical manual for Christian living. Take, it, take out your outline. Really, it's a brochure now, this fine work that uh, Mark Taylor's doing. I hope you're using it during the week. Today's message deals with showing favoritism, especially in the church. We're at James chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others. Wow, what a strong opening statement. How can you claim to be a Christian if you show preference, partiality, or favor for some over others? The word favor is a Greek word that had a literal meaning of lifting up someone's face with the idea of judging by appearance and on that basis giving special treatment. Boy, that's our culture, isn't it? The good looking get in the front of the line. Other translations don't use the word favor. The one you're holding may use the word partiality. The King James uses the word what? Respect. God is no respecter of purpose of persons. Same, same theme. This word, this Greek word, is only found in Christian writings. Now it's interesting. It's included four times by Paul, one time by Peter, one time by Luke. But each time it declares that God has no favorites. Doesn't mean God doesn't have love for you. God has no favorites among us because he's just. So he must be impartial to be just. Now James focuses on favoritism particularly in regard to social and economic status. Which remember... He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. 
he was writing to Jewish believers who were scattered across the lands outside of Israel, particularly outside of Jerusalem, the dispersion, they were dispersed peoples. So that problem must have existed not only in the church in Jerusalem, but also among the, the gatherings of Christians throughout the lands. But why would that surprise us if we deal with it even in here today? He asserts that favoring some people over others is contradictory and incompatible with faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That's a very strong statement, isn't it? Our favoritism or the lack of it is another evidence of the reality of our faith. See, we are called, not only called, but we are expected to value the spiritual and eternal beyond the material and temporal. Do we? Many of us have a tendency to treat people differently according to certain characteristics. I think in our culture, chief among them is probably looks, even clothing, social status, race, ethnicity, education, profession, personality, intelligence, of course, income, title, position. Sometimes we even favor people because of something they own. You've met somebody and they don't look all that good, dressed a little shabby. You follow them out to their car and BMW. <laughs> Suddenly you, well, well, I, it was so nice to meet you. Well, you've been treating me like a dog all the way out here. But, and we know that's true, don't we? The Mercedes Benz, he's got a Mercedes Benz. Or the size of house. Or the neighborhood. He lives in one of those neighborhoods. They won't let anybody in. <laughs> Listen to y'all. Let me tell y'all something. I don't mean to cause crime to rise in those neighborhoods. If you just snuggle up behind somebody that knows how to get in there, just shoot on through. <laughs> I get in all those neighborhoods. <laughs> Who do you Show favoritism toward. Bruce? Is it people who are rich, popular, talented, good looking? You got to get honest here. Remember the mirror comes out, right? Do you treat them differently? Brandon, do you walk a little straighter in some of those neighborhoods that you got to call in and get the password before you, some of the others, folks that you take care of if so you're misrepresenting God and you're misunderstanding who you are in Jesus Christ C.S. Lewis I, I'm sorry I, I, it just came to me I read it years ago but I'm paraphrasing said if we could see believers as, we, as they truly are We'd be tempted to worship them. 
can't remember which book it was in. What in us compels us to celebrate, almost worship an ordinary person because he can sink the three-pointer? Because he possesses some exceptional human characteristics. When we know God. Now I mean no disrespect for the departed. But I have been surprised at the ongoing amount of media attention that Prince received. Okay, he was an exceptionally good instrumentalist. Some of his lyrics are immoral, degrading. Why, why would we give this little man so much attention? I'm not saying that I mean, we should care that he's, his life is over. I'm not minimizing that. But why would this man be on every channel, every radio show for days after his death? Our culture is, is, is compelled to worship something but will not worship God. So they worship people instead. Do you see that? That's the inconsistency. A Christian being a fan, having so much devotion for another human makes no sense. Even another Christian. Makes no sense. Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. So how do we refuse this favoritism that seems to be sunk so deep in our psyches and in our culture? First, we reject superficial judgments. Favoritism is determining the worth or the value of people based on shallow surface assessment. Wealth, influence, popularity, or appearance. Without consideration of a person's true merits, abilities, or character. Without knowing the true person at all. We go to James 2. Verse 2. I remember a, a seminary professor he had a teenage boy. And this um, teenage boy, there was a poster that was popular of three women in bathing suits. And one had bud, the next one had wise, the next one had sir. I guess if that's the way you read it. And so he went in and this son of his had this poster up on his wall, you know. And he said, you know those women? And the boy said, well, I don't, I don't know him. He said, well, why do you have people up on your wall you don't even know? See how ridiculous it is when you flip it and look at it? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting, literally your synagogue, dressed in fancy clothes, literally bright or brilliant clothes. And and expensive jewelry, literally there, is gold-fingered. Some translations say wearing a gold ring, but it really means gold-fingered, meaning a bunch of gold rings. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. You know why they were dirty? They only had one thing to wear. 
Couldn't take it off. Couldn't take it off and wash it. Maybe had nowhere to wash it anyway. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you could stand over there or else sit on the floor. Now, most of the early converts to Christianity were Jewish and poor. Many were impoverished when they first believed in Jesus. Others became impoverished when they were fired from their jobs or they were thrown from their families with just the clothes they were wearing after they converted. But it's obvious from this passage that there were some wealthy people, either members or visitors, in the churches. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had this difficulty of partiality. But showing special favor to the well-dressed man, the man of a different race, the woman of a different economic class, is not only discourtesy, it's sin. It's a sin of favoritism. See, we would just minimize this. Oh, well, you need better manners. No, this is, a, this is an issue to deal with God about. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but say to the poor, you stand over there. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? The mistreatment of the poor man based on what he was wearing... Perhaps he was unwashed, may have, not have, been, may have been odiferous. I remember I was with some, you know, some of these high-class people, and I said something stunk. And this woman told me, no, it's odiferous. I thought, maybe so, but it stinks too. <laughs> Revealed a flawed judgment based on evil motives on the part of the people in the church. Evil motives. Did you hear that? What evil motives? Well, maybe they're trying to improve their church or, or themselves by associating with someone who possesses worldly prestige. If so, they misunderstood their identities. They didn't recognize their own glorious existences. You have the treasure of Christ. Now, it may be in a clay pot, but you still possess the treasure of Christ, the Spirit of God. And they even overlooked the fact, didn't they, that Jesus came from humble beginnings. His parents were poor, probably of peasant class, likely illiterate. He lived in Nazareth, which was a town everyone looked down on. In the region of Galilee, that was an undesirable region. In fact, it was held in contempt by people. When they started saying, well, Jesus is from Nazareth, and he, he is the Messiah. He may be the Messiah, the one we've been with. Not from Nazareth. He can't be a Galilean. Says it several times. John 1, 46, John 7, 41. Jesus' concern was the condition of a person's soul, not the size of his resources, not her status in the community. And so he considered their needs, not the contributions they could make to his cause. Are you like Jesus? Do you look for people whom you can help 
are people who can help you. Who can improve your position. Who can improve your reputation. Big difference, isn't it? Refuse favoritism also by remembering God's grace. Verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ? Whose noble name you bear. God's choice to save and bless people has absolutely nothing to do with their looks, their race, their social standing, their financial income level. He doesn't show favoritism. He has no favorites. Acts 10.34, Romans 2.11, Galatians 2.6, Ephesians 6.9, Colossians 3.25, 1 Peter 1.17. And that's only New Testament. Also it appears in the Old as well. Everything of eternal spiritual value that you possess, your salvation, your gifts, your blessings, your discernment, your conviction, your identity in Christ was given to you by God. That's the time we ought to spend some more time reflecting on what we've been given, less time looking around and see what other folks have been given. Grace means unmerited favor undeserved blessing or benefit if everything of spiritual significance which are the only things that last into eternity are given to us by God with no regard for who we are what we deserve why do we favor the rich and seek their company on earth in fact it says the the poor are more likely to seek God they're the ones more likely to inherit the kingdom of God perhaps they they know their needs more perhaps they're destitution out of their destitution they love God they're dependent on his provision while the rich have resources on which to rely You know that. Every, all of us know that passage about the camel through an eye of a needle. Doesn't mean it's impossible. It's hard. It's hard. Few of us will ever be wealthy in material possessions. But boy, some of us are trying to have something we can't afford, aren't we? I hear stories of people in exclusive neighborhoods who don't have any furniture inside. (laughs) I knew a man, he had a nice house, a witness house. He didn't have a thing in that house but lawn furniture. You know, with the webs and all that, you know, I'm thinking. 
He had a bed, I think, but I didn't see it. I think it was on the, ground, on the floor. Few of us will ever be wealthy in material possessions. Are you all right with that? Because you're already wealthy, but only if you see it and appreciate it. You can be rich in faith. And that wealth lasts for eternity. Now, I, wanna, I ought to just stop the message right here. Because what we're saying, y'all are nodding your head, yes, all that stuff. That means you don't behave the same way next week. That, don't, that means you, you stop saying, I got to have a newer, bigger, better something. So I feel better about myself. How could you feel better about yourself? You've been chosen by the king of glory. You don't know that. People who possess faith inherit the riches of the kingdom of God. And they're even present on earth. Now what are they here? Well, they're not necessarily a mansion or being in one of those push-button neighborhoods. But peace, if you ever understand intimacy with God. I don't think all Christians have peace. You know why? Because we live so worldly. We haven't spent enough time knowing God in intimacy, knowing his peace, having our wounds healed. That's what we do in transformation prayer. Understanding we're protected by God. That doesn't mean nothing will ever befall us. It just means it's even in the will of God. And we're provided for by God. But you may say, well, I like a better brand of stuff than God will give me. <laughs> Jill, you're the only one listening to me. You come up here with me. and help. No. <laughs> in heaven, we'll reside in the heavenly Father's house. This should make a difference. You know, a lot of us, all of us, or a lot of us went, you know, to training of some kind. Some of you went in the military. Some of you went to college. You know, I, I'm educated way beyond my intelligence because I went to college, then law school, then practiced a little while, then seminary. But you know what? So you, you, delay, you delay accumulating during those times because you're, you're, you're looking at a goal down the road. Well, why can't we live these short lives preparing for the future life? Why do we keep trying to cram it all in here? Because let's be honest, for a lot of us, here is more real than there. People who live in the kingdom of God are wealthy even without financial resources. Are you aware of your wealth? Then why would you be intimidated of anybody? Verse 6. But you dishonor the poor. Again, we dishonor the poor because we lack the spiritual awareness. So we have an an inability to recognize the invaluable image of God within each person. And if they're born again, they're a prince and a king, a princess and a queen, 
in the eyes of God. Isn't it the rich who oppress you? Greek is tyrannize, exercise inordinate power over, and drag you into court. These rich people who the, poor, who the people in the church were admiring and fawning over and given the best seat, there probably weren't even many seats in the room, were likely a small number of wealthy landowners and merchants. And they wanted more. They were competing with each other, which the only way you want to accumulate more is competition, which is why ads keep showing us what our car doesn't have and another car does. So they would sue these poor people who couldn't afford lawyers, take them to court. And the poor people would forfeit their lands, their possessions, because they'd been given loans and they couldn't repay them. Of course, the the person loaning the money knew that the, the poor person couldn't repay it. He fully intended to get his hands on what little they did own in terms of real assets. You know, that's how the children in India were enslaved. Their parents were poor, and, and, a sl- and a quarry owner offered what they called a hand loan, would just be a small amount of money to the parents. When they could not repay it, they took the child in payment. That's how those children that we support ended up enslaved. Exploitation of the poor. So they would receive these loans, real high interest rates, which was against the law of God, Exodus 22, 25, and 26, And then if the the poor complained, then they would be sued for slander. So they couldn't win. They were just beaten down. These people, interestingly though, these people who had been mistreated by the rich were now mistreating the poor. Have you noticed that in humankind? Someone who is mistreated because of some reason, education level, race, whatever will often then turn and mistreat someone else. Because human pride just wants to get on top of somebody. I want to be better than somebody. I want to be above somebody. And I can't be above the rich, but I can certainly be a bit above you. Shameful. Verse 7, aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? These rich people that the, that the Jerusalem church favored were speaking evil of Jesus. They probably ridiculed him, criticized him, insulted his followers, perhaps in court, but certainly in the synagogues and the markets. And they were trying to embrace these very people that were ridiculing them. Do we do that? Do you admire and celebrate people who criticize your faith or your Lord? Where do you spend your money? To whom do you give your loyalty? I'll tell you this. I will not go back to Target. Because, they, because here's the thing. Because of disrespect for our faith. Unconcern about our children's welfare. Y'all need to think about this kind of stuff. We need to quit being like lambs led to slaughter. We don't need to be unkind or harsh or cruel ever. We'd be like Christ. But take a stand. 
What movie stars, what sports stars, what politicians do you support? Well, if I quit, if I quit supporting that movie star, I can't see any more of his movies. I mean, what he says doesn't affect me. It affects the kingdom of God. Let's have some convictions, people. What would it cost you? Yeah, you quit going to see some idiot's movie. I love it, though, when they interview those stars about global warming or, or the state of peace in the world. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, your, your uh, hashtag, free our girls, that did a lot of good. Refuse favoritism also by reflecting the royal law in your life. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Love your neighbor as yourself is the royal law. It's the It's the law of the kingdom of God. It's the sum and substance of the complete word of God, at least least the, the part that controls our relationship to each other. Love God controls the horizontal relationship. Love love others, love your neighbor controls the vertical. I mean, controls the horizontal. Love God controls the vertical. Paul said at Romans 13 10, love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. When you love someone, you will not harm that person. Is that right? In any way. Rather, you will assist, you will help, you will even deny yourself to make that person's life better. Thereby fulfilling the whole law. You know, you hear about, well, this is my me time. I I can't find me time in here. You found it anywhere, David? I got to have some me time. This... Loving others as we love ourselves means recognizing and attempting to meet every need. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. You would do it for yourself, Right? Well, that passage says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Look at how closely you care for everything about yourself. You closely inspect everything, you know. Every little issue you want resolved. Are we as sensitive to someone else's suffering? When we truly love someone, we'll never minimize or mistreat that person based on his or her status. We'll grant dignity to every person. That's been a value of our church from the beginning. Every person deserves dignity. Devoid of status. Because he possesses, she possesses the image of God. When we love people, truly, we stop seeing them superficially. You know what I'm talking about? Have you noticed that you almost have to step back to see your spouse? If If you're close with them, you know what I'm saying? You interact with them at a deeper level than just surface. So, you know, I'll have to step back and see my wife, who who is beautiful, in my estimation. 
but my life with her is so entwined, I don't always see her surface. When we love somebody, we don't just see their surface. We see the whole of them. We see who they really are. We see who, who people can become in Jesus Christ, which has nothing to do with appearance and possessions. Disfavoring one person compared to another doesn't say something about that devalued person. It says something about you. It says something about, about my inner secure insecurity in my identity. Think about it. If you're secure in who you are, would it hurt your feelings if anybody said anything? But we are so sensitive. Oh, you said... Someone said, I'm losing my hair. Someone said, I put on a pound or two. Well, you did. Couldn't hardly get your britches on this morning. (laughs) And it even brings into question whether you've received the Spirit of God by being born again. Because if you have, how could you be so unlike Jesus? Verse 10, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. The Jews embraced a works righteousness system and it depended on the moral standing of the person himself or herself to determine acceptance or rejection by God. They added up the commands they kept. They subtracted the ones they violated And believing that a positive balance pleased God. They misunderstood God's intent in the law totally. Verse 11. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. The same God. See the emphasis is on God and his character. Not on the command. You see what I'm saying? It's the character of God we're focused here on. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. You don't have to actually break any of the laws. You only have to break one law. Now, he, James uses two capital offenses punishable by death... And he's comparing that with favoritism. It's only necessary to break one law, a single commandment, to be a lawbreaker, to be a sinner. Because we're obligated to keep the whole law. To obey every command. Did you know that? Is that what you believe? See, I think a lot of us are just like the Jews, aren't we? Well, I do more bad than I do good. Of course, the people that always tell me I'll get into heaven because I do more, I mean, I do more good than I do bad. That might have been Freudian. But um, the people who are always saying, well, I do more good than I do bad, they only believe that Hitler and perhaps Mussolini are in hell. You ever heard them include anybody else? But if you start saying, oh, no, well, I know you did this. And I know you. There is no slate like that. 
Any disobedience of any law violates the will and the authority, the dignity, the honor, the personhood of God. You see? Any defiance at all. And God accepts nothing less than perfection. Well, who can attain that? None of us can attain that. That's the good news. See, as I spelled this out, some of you are going, oh, gosh. That's why the gospel is good news. Because you can't, but you don't have to. Jesus achieved it by keeping the law fully. And he says, I have satisfied the law. I didn't wipe it away. I fulfilled it on your behalf. And then our faith isn't something we muster. It's our dependence on that sacrifice. See, when we face God, if God asks me, okay, Perry, why do you deserve to be led into heaven? I'm just going to point to his son. It's all I've got. When we trust in his personal sacrifice for our particular sins, we are rendered perfectly righteous in God's eyes. All the law is satisfied. Read Romans 5, chapter 5. Refuse favoritism also by remembering the final judgment. Verse 12. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Now that's key. That's key. Because favoritism is such a serious sin, it is so revelatory of the state of our souls. James closes this section with an appeal for believers to fully consider the danger of divine judgment. We will be judged. Not by the law of Moses, which has been fulfilled for you if you've trusted in Jesus' fulfillment. You see? Now, apart from that trust, you stand before the law. The law of Moses saved no one. The law of Moses only condemns, never saves, only exposed sin, never expunged sin. You see? We'll be judged by the royal law. I told you what the royal law was. Which we can keep and obey. Because we've been set free. That's what it says, isn't it? The law that sets you free. This law of love sets you free from self-centeredness. That's the root of all sin, isn't it? Narcissism, me, pride. I want what I want. Everybody else, get out of my way. By the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Galatians 5. Galatians 6 2. Each of us will be judged by how we treated people on earth. Whether we showed favoritism to a few. Particularly in the church. Also in the community. Verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Especially the poor. Throughout the scriptures, I'm not using many Old Testament passages, but there was many laws that made special provision for the poor. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Are you merciful? Here's a mirror time. 
Am I merciful? Or am I judgmental? Being merciful is the mark of the person who has truly received mercy from God. See, if you've been born again, you understand the desperation of your life apart from Christ. How could you flaunt yourself above someone? You see? How could I consider myself above anyone if I see my own sins and my own need and my own desperation? That's ludicrous. But if I can get all filled with pride and say, well, I'm smarter than him. I'm better looking than him. I have more hair than that one. I haven't seen myself. Truly, have I? And this mercy enables me and you to see the inherent worth of people made in the image of God. That's what's priceless. That's what's priceless. And we see people's needs instead of their social standing just like Jesus did. You ready to start doing that? People will will regard you as odd if you start living in that way. That's the way we change a culture. Odd for God. Spend some time. Work through the passage. You may see something I didn't see. And like I said, if I misstated something, you always can dismiss what I say. Listen to what God says. Soul training for this week. Ask God. And you might do this even before you walk out of here. Ask God, am I acting like a Christian in the parking lot when I leave? That's not, the, and that's not what it says, but this says, do I show, I should have added that one in there. Do I show favoritism to anyone? And what is my favoritism based on? And then we ask God to enable us to see people as he does. You might be surprised what he shows you. Father, make us like your son. May we see people for their needs. May we be concerned with what they lack instead of what they can contribute to us. You've given all, Lord. Let us recognize and appreciate that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. There'll be counselors here at the front to pray with you, to talk with you. They'll also be in the Care Connection room.